please be seated. Do I really have saving faith? Am I saved? John Piper wrote this, the most agonizing problem about the assurance of salvation is not the problem, rather the facts of Christianity are true. So two weeks ago we looked at the fact, the reality of the atonement, where we learned that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice as our substitute to pay for the penalty of our sin and to avert God's wrath from us that we might be reconciled to God. That's a fact that I'm sure everyone in this assembly this morning believes is true. And then secondly, last week we looked at justification, this great exchange that takes place where Jesus takes my sin, my sin is imputed to him and he atones for it and then I receive his righteousness, his righteousness is imputed to me and based on the merits of Christ, based on this great exchange, God declares me in right standing before him, justified through the instrument of faith. And I doubt there's anyone here today that really questions that truth. And so Piper says the problem of assurance is not are the facts of Christianity true. Here's what he says the problem of assurance is. But the really agonizing problem of assurance is whether I personally am saved by those facts. Am I saved because of the atonement? Am I saved because God has declared me justified? Are we assured, not just that these things are true, but personally, I am saved by the work of Christ? R.C. Sproul wrote, Am I saved is one of the most important questions I can ever ask. Think with me for a moment of what life would be like, what the Christian life would be like without assurance of salvation. Think about the insecurities we would, ha we, we would have. Think about the doubt and fear that would plague us every single moment of our lives. Think about the precarious and helpless state we would be in without full assurance of salvation. And so today as we continue the series on the Christian life following the storyline of Pilgrim's Progress, we will look at Christian there at the cross and the sepulcher receiving a third gift, a third gift of grace. And the third shiny one comes to him and imparts to him full assurance of salvation. That will be our topic today. You'll find the sermon outline there in your bulletin. I encourage you to follow along. So let's, let's pray together. God in heaven, I, I thank you for the realities of salvation, that they are true. I thank you, Father, that you also have gifted us with full assurance that not only are these things true, but I am saved by them. And may all that is said in the next period of time be for your glory and to help us be more assured of our salvation 
as we progress along the way of sanctification. Now you'll find, if you turn to page 872 in your hymnal, and I would encourage you to do that and just kind of keep that open along with your Bible, you'll find a definition of uh, sanctification. And, you know, sanctification is defined in our shorter catechism, but what I want to just remind us that our shorter catechism is based, and our confession is based on scriptural principles. And so the catechism in question 35 on page 872 in your hymnal defines sanctification as the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And you see the two parts that is the work of sanctification. So according to the catechism, believers are enabled to more and more live unto righteousness. That's good news. Christ has freed us from the bondage of sin that we might walk in newness of life. Paul speaks about this in Romans 6 and verse 6. We know that our old self, that is our old sin nature, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We are enabled more and more to walk free and to live unto righteousness. And then secondly, the catechism teaches we are enabled more and more to die unto sin, which implies that we still struggle with sin. And though we are free from bondage to sin, yet we struggle every day, don't we? And John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves in the truth of God is not in us. So in sanctification, which is God's work, that old sin nature is subdued but never entirely subdued in this life. And at the same time, the believer is progressively enabled to walk in newness of life, to live unto righteousness. And we do live unto righteousness because of the ministry of the Word and Spirit enabling us to believe and to walk in obedience. Sanctification is a work of God, the Bible teaches, but it's a work in which we cooperate. Now listen, and you turn in your Bibles to Philippians 2, 12 through 13, very important passage about the doctrine of sanctification, and you'll see both our cooperating with God in sanctification and God's work of sanctification. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Actually, the text is, work out your own sanctification. We cooperate with God. We're to work. Sanctification means we have to exert effort in the Christian life. But then the text goes on to say that we're to work it out with fear and trembling. This is serious business. But it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We cooperate, God works. And those who are being sanctified, irrespective of, of how difficult the process is, will prevail. And the Apostle Paul 
shows us the dynamics of sanctification and how difficult it can be, how much effort it takes. In these words from Ephesians, so we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today, so just have your Bible, your iPad, your iPhone open, and the next scripture I would ask you to turn to is Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Sanctification is a serious matter. We do it with fear and trembling. It takes effort. And the Apostle Paul says that as we progress in sanctification, we are to put off, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so when you really think about you being sanctified and how every single day you and me must be about the business of putting off that old self, and you know how difficult that can be at times. I've got some old shirts that I can't get rid of. I love them. And sometimes I find them in the trash and I retrieve them. I just don't want to get rid of it. Ladies never do this. Guys do. It is hard to put off the old self. It is hard to turn from our sin, especially those sins that we really like. And let's admit it, we really like some of those sins, right? But also the text tells us that we're to put on holiness. We're to pursue holiness. That's hard work. That's difficult. But it's what we're called to do. It's what we're enabled to do as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the process of sanctification is reflected in the story of Pilgrim's Progress as Christian is standing there and the third shining one comes to him and sets a mark in his, that is Christian's forehead and gave him a roll with a seal upon it which he bid him look on as he ran and that he should give it in at the celestial city. So Christian winds up with this mark on his head, this roll in his hand with a seal on it that is going to be his for his entire journey from the cross to the very gate of heaven itself. It's the gift. Paul says in Ephesians 1, so you should still be in Ephesians, so turn back to chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, where he tells us about this roll and seal it is the assurance by the Spirit where he says, In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We see this had to have been in Bunyan's mind, this, this text, when he was writing about this third shining one giving this role and seal this assurance that comes of the Holy Spirit working in us. And so a Christian with a new coat on, with a roll and a seal in his hand, with this mark, whatever that was, on his forehead, journeys from the cross of, and the sepulcher to the hill of difficulty. And if, you, if you've read that portion of the story, you'll see that that Christian runs. He's running up that hill, but... His run becomes a walk because it gets steep and his walk becomes an all-out crawl on his hands and his knees climbing 
this difficult hill. Sanctification is a difficult process, though we have everything available to persevere in it, but it is still difficult. And so he gets to a place halfway up this hill that is called the Pleasant Arbor. And there he stops. And it's a place for refreshment of the traveler, the pilgrim. It's a place, a refuge. And so Christian stops and he, and he, he contemplates this, this new coat that represents the imputed righteousness of Christ. He takes out that roll and he begins to read it. And he's greatly encouraged as he is there reading about that, reading what's contained in that role, contemplating his new coat. And I believe this arbor, this pleasant arbor, represents the ministry of God's word, wherein we find the promises of God that assures us of our salvation. It's the word of grace that we need so desperately as we are progressing up that hill that is difficult as we are being sanctified. And one scripture that is great encouragement to be is Zephaniah 3 and verse 17, where I am so assured of God's love for me to the extent that he delights over me. And then if I had to choose another scripture that might be, that, that might represent that pleasant arbor for me on my journey of sanctification is the entire chapter of Romans 8. That nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What about you? What represents your pleasant arbor as, as you are progressing in sanctification. You've got one. May we take refuge in it. May we be refreshed by it. Sproul writes, progress in sanctification requires a firm foundation in faith. Assurance is the cement of that foundation. Without it, the foundation crumbles. Assurance is a blessing is a benefit, is absolutely essential in sanctification. But here is a bit of a problem that we face. This assurance can be temporarily lost, in particular when we fall into sin. And so here's Christian's problem, halfway up the hill of difficulty, as he's been climbing on his knees and his hands and as he reaches this pleasant arbor and he he is assured with regards to his coat and his role but then what happens sinful sleep he dozes off he let down his guard he becomes idle and complacent to stay in one place if you've read the story, you know that as soon as, as Christian left the cross and the sepulcher, he 
he encountered uh, simple sloth and presumption at the foot of the hill, and they represent the problem of false assurance, and maybe even not even being saved to begin with, of being idle and complacent, satisfied to stay in one place, unwilling to climb the hill of difficulty. And so what happens to Christian is that as he is sleeping there, his roll fell out of his pocket and he was unaware of it. Listen to these words. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 11. So then let us not sleep as others do, but, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And maybe what we need to do is to build one another up by saying, hey, wake up. <laughs> Stop being idle and complacent. The Pleasant Arbor is not a lodge. It is a refuge. King David became idle and complacent. He became vulnerable to temptation. He remained there at his palace when he should have been with his army. And because he was idle, you know the story, he succumbed to temptation, committed adultery, was complicit in the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. I mean, David's sin, David represents simple sloth and presumption that can be us if we are not vigilant and watchful over our souls so that we are not sleeping at the pleasant arbor halfway up the hill of difficulty. David viewed the pleasant arbor as a lodge and not a refuge. Well, Christian was awakened and his journey continued, but soon he encountered two more individuals, timorous and mistrust. And they were running in the exact opposite direction. They were running in haste down the hill, away from heaven. And the reason they were running is because they encountered two lions. And they became fearful, timorous, and they doubted, mistrust. And this so poignantly describes what happens when we fall into sin and so easily lack assurance that we begin to fear and we begin to doubt. But Christian, at that moment, realized he needed a shot of assurance and so he reached for his role and he couldn't find it and he realized his idleness and his slothfulness and his slumber at the pleasant arbor and he realized how foolish he was and he humbled himself and he repented and he returned and he found his role with a seal 
And he regained assurance through repentance and faith. And this is the hope for you and me today. Every single one of us here, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Every single one of us here has likely struggled with the issue of assurance at some point during our journey where we have been in fear and where we have doubted. And the hope is for the believer, for the justified and the adopted who is now in the process of sanctification, the hope is that full assurance can be regained through repentance and through faith. Exactly what we find here with Christian. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, remember there, and, and this is the, the letter uh, to the church in Ephesus who had so much on the ball, right? Except one little issue. They had lost their first love or they were not loving like they did at first. And so Revelation 2.5, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand lamp from its place unless you repent. And that's the remedy for losing assurance is repentance and turning again to that pleasant arbor where we find forgiveness and refreshment for our souls. Do I really have saving faith? We've considered that, that assurance is absolutely essential. It is a blessing. It is beneficial in the process of sanctification. And also we have considered that Christians can temporarily lose assurance of salvation, but that it can be restored through repentance and faith. So what really are the answers to that question? Do I really have saving faith? Am I saved? And it is to that that I want to turn as we look at this last point on your sermon outline. And the first way that we are assured, the first way that we have full assurance is the, is the objective promises of salvation in God's word. So turn to 1 John 5, 11 through 13. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. This is one of the first scriptures I memorized, but I memorized it in a different translation. And every time I try to recite it, it gets all jumbled up. And so I'm going to read it. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And listen to verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, brothers and sisters, the first way that we have full assurance is simply this. Take God at his word. If you're struggling with assurance, go to the Bible. 
Go to the pleasant arbor. Pull out that roll and begin to read. And there you'll find the many promises of God that just aliven assurance in the believer. Take God at his word. We are fully assured on the foundation of the objective promises of salvation in the Bible. And secondly, we are fully assured by the evidences of saving, saving grace in our lives. Now turn to 2 Peter and chapter 1. This, this whole passage from, from verse 3 all the way through verse 11 is incredibly important, but I'm just going to read selected verses, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, and then 10 through 11. And when I'm reading this, just think of spiritual fruit, spiritual fruit that uh, is on your little tree that, that can be seen by others that are evidences of true saving faith. For this reason, Peter writes, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform, to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In no way is Peter suggesting that we are saved by works. What he's writing about here is that those who have true and saving faith will demonstrate these qualities. We have a new nature. We're walking in newness of life. And this spiritual fruit, this fruit that points to the fact that that person has true and saving faith are assurances for us. And I, so maybe you're concerned. Your heart goes out to a person that doesn't know Jesus. That's, that's evidence that you have true and saving faith. Maybe you're concerned about a sin that you keep on committing in your life and you hate it. That's evidence of true and saving faith in your life. The evidences of God's gracious work of salvation is a foundation to full assurance for the believer. And then thirdly, the inward or subjective testimony of the spirit of adoption. And I would ask you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Romans 8, 14 through 17. There's a reason why Romans 8 is called the hinge of the book of Romans. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear... But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This inward testimony of the Spirit 
is so precious, isn't it? Maybe you've experienced, as I have, being in a particularly discouraging place, either because of my own failure or because of some other issue. And we just feel just empty. Not so much sad, but, but really just in despair. And that spirit of adoption begins to work in our hearts. And we begin to think, wait, wait just a minute. God chose me to be his son. And in a matter of moments, our whole countenance can change because of the spirit of adoption confirming in our souls that we are the sons and daughters of the living God. This is an occasion where subjectivism is really good. When the spirit works, blessed assurance Jesus is mine. In just a few moments, we are going to sing this hymn. But this must, this must be Fanny Crosby Day, because this is our second Fanny Crosby hymn, or Francis Crosby, if we're British, uh, that, that we have sung today. And as I, as I was contemplating this little phrase, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, I got to thinking, wait a minute, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, the only, the only hope I have, the only way that I can really sing that hymn and embrace that thought, which is true, by the way, but it's not the primary truth. It's not the foundational truth. It's a reality, yes, but it's, but it's not the, the uh, greatest reality. The greatest reality is blessed assurance, I am Jesus's. Now, the hymn does touch on that. But that's the reality. That's what gives me confidence to get up in the morning and to pursue this progressive sanctification that we find in the scriptures. Blessed assurance, I am Jesus's. And I know I am his because God's word tells me so, the promises of salvation. I know I am his because the saving grace of Jesus Christ is promoting fruit in my life. I know I am His because the spirit of adoption comes and convinces me that I am His. Now I want to go over two implications from today's message. And here's the first one. Those who are being progressively sanctified, as we've been talking about today, will make it not only to the gate of heaven, but through the gate into heaven. Do you believe that? And, and I just love the way Bunyan uh, depicts this, because there's absolutely no question given by the third shining one, that there's any doubt that Christian is not going to make it to the gate. Here's the mark on your forehead. Here's your roll with the seal. Go to the gate and enter. 
Listen to these words from Romans chapter 8. I told you Romans chapter 8 was a central chapter in my life. Listen to this. The golden chain of salvation for those whom, Romans 8, verse 29 through 30, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called. Those whom he called he also justified. And those whom he justified, now Paul doesn't say sanctified here, but I think it's implied in here. Those whom he justified he also glorified. From the cross to the gate of heaven, every single believer that has been united to Christ in saving faith will be successful, will prevail, will get to the gate. And when we get to the gate, guess what happens? We turn in our role. We don't need assurance anymore. Isn't that great? And here's the second implication I would have for us today. Let us continually take refuge, not as a lodge, but as a refuge there at the pleasant arbor on that steep hill, that, that steep hill that so powerfully depicts what progressive sanctification feels like to you and me. God provides full assurance. May we continually contemplate all that Christ has done for us, the righteousness that he has imputed to us. May we continually pull out that role and read and be encouraged with the truths of God, especially those truths pertaining to salvation. And as we do, we are assured of God's love no matter how unlovely we may view ourselves. As we do, we are assured of the atoning work of Christ that has made it possible for us to have full pardon. As we do, we are assured that our standing today, even as we are progressively being sanctified, as the Holy Spirit is putting to death sin in us, enabling us to live more and more in righteousness, that today we stand knowing that in the courtroom of heaven we are declared righteous because God accepts us on the merits of Christ's pardon on the cross and is imputed righteousness. We are assured that we're not only justified but adopted. That we are the sons and daughters of the living God. And God makes every single earthly father look like a total failure because of what a great father he is. And if an earthly father is not going to do harm to his children and protects his children and wants to see them to succeed in an infinite degree, that's what God does for you and me as our Heavenly Father. We're His children. There is no way He is going to let us fail the journey of progressive sanctification. And we need to be assured of that. Full assurance means that we will keep, keep pressing on to that goal. That we will keep pressing on to grab hold of that prize that we will keep moving towards heaven where we turn in our role of assurance like Paul we endeavor this that we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus blessed assurance I am Jesus's and all that means all that is included in that 
is a blessing and a benefit to every single believer that is being progressively sanctified. Let us